Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 21st, 2023. It is currently 1142 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, it's Saturday, so you know what that means. We're fast approaching the end of another week of Bible study, and we have spent a week working on the subject of discernment. Specifically, we looked at Genesis chapter 3. Now, I thought, personally, I thought that we had stumbled onto something that I thought was super important, super interesting, and I am very aware, I'm very much aware that I kind of messed it up a little bit. It wasn't really my fault. I think I think between the correction and the initial discussion of it that I was able to at least give you something of importance, but I don't feel anyone else thought that it was as significant as I did. This is one of those situations where maybe I saw something and I'm like, oh, wow, this is so awesome. This is so great. Everyone's going to think this is cool. This is going to spark great conversation. This is going to spark great discussion. And the reality, it didn't spark much of anything. In fact, I, I realized that if I, if I want to really spark lively debate and discussion, say something critical about the chosen TV show, that will fill up my email inbox. Trying to point out something that I think is super interesting in the text, uh, that doesn't quite generate near the passion and the excitement and the zeal. And that's that, that could say a lot. I, I'll just leave it there. But it is true. If I turn on the microphone and I go with a hot take, right? I, I throw out something controversial. I throw out and I'm going after something that's very kind of relevant in society right now. Something dealing with a, something in the culture or something in the church and, or a news story that's really trending. Man, if I, if I can follow that kind of stuff, you can build an audience. But I, 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 don't, I don't like necessarily playing that game because once again, I believe all of the problems that everyone's running around giving their hot takes about I think those problems can't be resolved with just more hot takes and more controversial things and saying shocking and outlandish things. I think what Christians need is we need to get back to the Word of God. But sometimes when you just turn on the microphone going, hey, here in Genesis, I saw something very interesting, you're not going to get that same boom. Yeah, let's talk about it. You're going to be kind of, you're going to kind of get a shrug of the shoulders. Yeah, okay, whatever, and move on. Then I turn on the microphone, throw out something controversial, some kind of hot take, and then boom, everybody wants to talk about it. It's just, uh, I, I guess it's somewhat discouraging at times. I, I guess it's somewhat discouraging at times, but it's just, maybe it's human nature. Maybe it has something to do with human nature, right? And, and well, that that maybe that's going to fit in with what we're going to be talking about today. Maybe I'm giving an opening illustration without even thinking I'm giving an open illustration. Stay with me, you will see. But yes, we have concluded, we are fast approaching the end of another week for our Bible study exercise where we're working on the subject of discernment, all right? It's going to be six to seven weeks of working on discernment. Some people are working on the word study. Uh, some people are doing other things. But whatever you're doing on the subject of discernment, hopefully it's been beneficial. But I hope you didn't overlook 
Genesis chapter 3. And the subject that I brought up is, in my mind, when we start looking at discernment, and we want to find really the first kind of mention of discernment, the first example of discernment, we find it right here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now we found that there are lots of different ways that subtle appears to be spelled. And depending on which spelling you go, you'll go, you'll go, you'll see with the definition of subtle, you'll see discerning or discernment mentioned or in connection with it. Again, depending on which spelling you go, I'm not going to go back through all of that. Um, I was trying to articulate that in the sermon at church last Sunday, and then all of a sudden when I looked up the word, I'm like, wait a minute, uh, none of these definitions are going the direction I want. So I came home and corrected that. But so in a roundabout way, it still served as a great illustration because I wasn't discerning enough to realize, wait a minute. These are variations in spelling. I was just typing in S U, you know, just starting the the and then Google's like, did you mean and handed me the definition and didn't realize they were handing me depending each time I looked up different variations of spellings, which gave a, just a slightly variation in definitions. So, which then sparked the confusion. But I still think. And I still maintain that I think it's a when we're going to talk about discernment and we're going to kind of go to the the where is it first mentioned, where is it first demonstrated? It's first utilized. Discernment is being utilized in a negative way. Satan is using, well, he's obviously, you know, working through the serpent, but Satan uses discernment to find a way to get God's creation to go, to sin against him, turn against him, rebel against him. And I, and I think that if you look at it, it he is discerning. It, it is very subtle and, and kind of the trick that he uses really to, to get her, to get Eve, to focus on what she cannot have and ignore what she can't. I think it's, it's brilliant. I think it's devious. I think it's deceitful. But I think it's a lot about how discernment, this is how discernment can be used in a negative way. How can we take it and learn how to use it in a positive or, or a godly, holy, biblical way? So I still think it, I, I still think it's super important. I know we're at the end of the week. Like there's a part of me, like it's Saturday and I'm like, come on guys, come on. Do we, it, don't you think it's important? Like I, I, I'm trying to like, please, we, we, we're the last day of this week of Bible study. And then we move to a whole you know, we're going to, we're going to move right on past it and move on to a different concept connected with discernment or trying to figure out if it's connected with discernment. So even though I can't necessarily spend more time focusing on Satan in a sense, using discernment, I do want to talk about discernment and something in Genesis chapter three. So I want to end this first week, or I guess technically first week of study on discernment. We, we did kind of an introduction and kind of a pre-study to the study, but the first official week, um, I, yes, as much as I want to talk about Satan and I feel using discern, discernment, being discerning, and uh, what does that, you know, how does that help us better understand it? I want to focus on something else in Genesis 3. There's, I, some, there's a part of me that wants to move on, but I, I just don't think we've done enough with Genesis 3 this week. That's just my feeling. I don't know. I just don't. I, my, my, and again, feeling is a bad thing to go on. I know that. 
my perception, but it's based off a feeling, is that people didn't spend a lot of time in Genesis 3. I just don't feel like, I, I just, I, at least I feel that Genesis 3 did not really get people excited or, or, or focused in on what it's saying about discernment. So I'm going to focus on one aspect of it. And here we go. I'm going to read the whole text and I'm going to focus on one aspect of it. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more subtle, discerning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, he knows the minute he says, hath God said you can't have all of these trees? He knows the minute he does that, the minute he asks this question, did God say you can't have any of these trees? He knows exactly what she's getting ready to do. She's going to immediately turn her mind away from all the trees she can have and immediately focus on the tree she can't partake of. He's going to get her to focus on what she can't have. And immediately look what she says. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. All right. She recognizes, she at least acknowledges these trees. And then the very next word, but now the minute she says, but she's just canceled out everything else. Nothing else matters at that moment, but, and then it's almost like you can see her turning. Of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Immediately she goes, look, I can't have that, or I'm going to die. And then the serpent, full blown. So now he's got her focused on it. Then he straight up lies. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So now he's got her focused on it. He's like, hey, 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 you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Then he gives her kind of some motivation for God doth know that in the day you shall eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Say, Hey, you're not going to die. And look, he's holding out. If you eat that, you're going to become like God. So see, go, go for it, go for it, go for it. So now he's kind of, but he's got, now the focus is on the tree she can't partake of. See, the focus is no longer on all the other trees. So I think in a deceptive, discerning way, he gets her to focus on what she cannot have. I still think that that's super important. But here's what I want to focus on today. Verse six, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Satan is using discernment to get her to focus on what she can't have. And the minute she focuses on that, something other than discernment becomes the driving influence in her mind, right? It's not discernment, right? And remember how we define discernment. I'll just go with one simple definition for discernment. We've been working on defining discernment now for, you know, over a week. Um, uh, discernment, the ability to judge well, all right? In Christian context, uh, per uh, perception uh, or perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding, all right? So this is the idea to perceive, the ab ability to judge, the ability to, to, to have correct spiritual guidance and understanding. 
to perceive, to judge, to understand, to see, to perceive, to have correct perception. Well, and at this moment, her, well, maybe we should say it this way. Let's stay, okay, let's do this. I think this is important. All right, stay with me. Now stay with me here. Let's, Let's think this through. When it comes to discernment, when it comes to your ability to perceive, when it comes to your ability to judge, different things will be the primary influence of that discernment. Hear me out. Either God's word will be the primary driving force in your discernment or your feelings, your emotions, your circumstances. There'll be, there'll be all these other things. So I think really it comes down to this. Your discernment will either be influenced, driven by the word of God, or it'll be driven by something else. Now she, in a sense, whatever she thought about what God said, She recites a little bit of what God said. You could say, did she speak it correctly? But the point is, she knows that God has said, you can't partake of that tree or you will die. She at least knows that much, right? So there's God's word. But look at what happens. God's word is being the influence for her discernment. It is replaced by something else. And it's replaced by three things. Uh, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. What she sees... And that it was pleasant to the eyes, what, what, is, what she feels, what she desires, and, it, and, uh, and, uh, one, and to be desired to make one wise. So it was almost, we could go with, we could almost go with sight, with desire, and with pride, right? Um, we could probably break that down a little bit more. I'm, I'm trying not too hard to walk us right to First John, and we're going to obviously go to First John. But we, but it's what she sees, it's what she she desires, and it's uh. Can we go? Can we say self? I think all all of it is self, but we, what she sees, what she feels, and and self. How I. How do we, I don't want to just throw pride into this, but, but what, what I want you to see is that something, look, everyone uses discernment. I, I think this is very important. I think what we see in Genesis three is that even Satan uses discernment. Everyone uses discernment. The key is what is driving that discernment? Because what drives the discernment will determine where that discernment's going to take you. And if that discernment's perception is actually correct or not. So, so what drives the discernment? Everyone, everyone has it. So in this particular case, it's God. What should drive her discernment is God's word. Her, her discernment should be like, hey, God said no. Let's just, there, there's no point in having a conversation. My, 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 my ability to perceive and judge is based off God's word. But at, in a subtle way, the God's word gets replaced with these three things. What she sees, what is pleasant, and this, and this idea uh, to desire to make one wise. And a, or a tree to be desired. Let's do that. So it's what she sees. 
It's what is pleasant and what is desired. Let's go with that. That's that's more textually accurate. I kind of want to summarize those in a way that's more interpretive, but we can just go with what she sees, what she does, uh, what is pleasant and what is desired. What she sees, what is pleasant and what is desired. See pleasant desire. That replaces God's word as the influence for the discernment. Now, what happens when what you see and what is pleasant and what is desired becomes your primary means of discerning? Then you're going to discern something as good, right, based off what you see, what is pleasant, and what is desired. Therefore, your discernment will not lead you to correct judgment. So what must influence your discernment has to be God's word, not anything else. Now, if we take this and go to 1 John, which is what I was trying not to just immediately lead us here, we know 1 John, everyone knows 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Yeah, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all that is in the world. And the world will pass away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God will abide it forever. That, these are the three things that are operating in the world all the time. The, everything, and, and please note, here's what we have to understand. Eve, Eve did not have a sinful nature. She did not have a sinful nature, but she still, she replaces the influence of God's word with what she sees, right? What is pleasant and what is to be desired. That's be without a sinful nature. That's even without a sinful nature. And then she sins. She goes against her discernment is now so influenced by what she sees and what is pleasant and what is desired that she abandons God's word. Her, now, she's, you could say she's using discernment, but it's a discernment driven by what she sees, what is pleasant, and what is desired. Well, for us, we have a sinful nature, so we're already in trouble, right? We have a sinful nature, and everything around us appeals to these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, we already have a sinful nature. That already is going to impact our discernment, right? That's already going to impact our discernment. But then we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is oper- that's all that is in the world. In other words, everything in the world is to appeal to those three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything around us appeals to that. And that, that becomes the driving motivation for discernment. So we have to reject that as the motivating factor of discernment and say God's word is going to be the standard for my discernment. See, everyone's using discernment. That's why you can get multiple people going, well, I don't see a problem with that. Well, I don't see a problem with that. I don't see a problem with that. Well, I don't see an issue with that. Well, I think that's okay. That's okay. Because... And, and here's what happens. If we're not careful, we can take God's word. Here's God's word. 
And then because of our, these other motivating factors, we begin to discern God's word in a way that's not motive. That's not, listen, God's word should be the thing that determines our understanding and our interpretation. But in many cases, what happens is these other factors become the the primary focus and how we discern God's word. Like God's word should be how we discern. In many cases, these other things determine how we discern God's word. That's why you can have someone take the Bible and justify all kinds of things. Either it's God's word driving your discernment, or it's the other things that's driving your discernment, and then you'll take that discernment and discern that the word of God doesn't actually condemn what it seems to condemn. What is the thing motivating your discernment? What is the what is the engine behind your discernment? Because whatever the greatest influence of your discernment will determine whether you are perceiving, judging accurately. Eve had God's word, not not a physical copy, but she'd been given God's word and she set God's word aside. She set it aside because of what she saw what was pleasant, and what she desired. Then she went to Adam, gave of him, and he partook. So for Adam, he replaces God's word with what? He is now motivated by his wife, by other, by another person. So you could think about it. Here are the things that can drive your discernment, right? We could say, we could go with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and people. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and people. Now, what we need to work on, and I know this goes with the first week, but we've got to make time for this for the second week in our study for discernment. I need us, and I need you to become an expert on the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the influence of people. We've got to know exactly what we mean by the lust of the flesh. We got to know exactly what we mean by the lust of the eyes. We got to know exactly what we mean by the pride of life. And we obviously already understand people. We need to understand these. And then what we have to ask ourselves is how do these things constantly impact our discernment? Now, you've got to hear me out. Even if we figure out what is influencing our discernment, that's no guarantee that we're stu- no, we still won't take the forbidden fruit, right? But at least, here's what I always say. This, this, at least, this is my philosophy, and you may agree or disagree. I, in theory, I would love for it to be like, okay, as long, if I can figure out that these things are the negative things influencing my discernment, if I can figure this out, then I'm going to discern the right way. But make sure you understand, discerning the right thing is a million miles away from doing the right thing. But here's the best I think we can hope for as a Christian, because we're going to constantly sin because of our sinful nature. But here's what we should strive. This is the minimum we should strive for as a Christian, that we acknowledge, hey, I know this is wrong, and I'm not going to. It's one thing. See, what I, what bothers me is when people take their, this, their discernment as being driven by these other things, and then they go to the Word of God and twist it and manipulate it to make it justify their action. 
That is what we can, that's the minimum we can avoid. It would be one thing to say, look, I know that what I'm doing, I know this is wrong. I know that I, I acknowledge that I'm not justifying it in any way, shape or form. At least we're, we are acknowledging the reality of the situation. We're not blinding ourselves, meaning that we are at least seeing God's word and knowing it. Now, we still have to struggle and we have to, but at least we're just starting with the acknowledgement that, hey, I know this isn't the, the best thing. I know this isn't right. I'm acknowledging that. Now, some people say, well, what good is that if you don't stop? Well, listen, it keeps me honest with the scriptures because look, it doesn't, I've said it so many times, I, I can I can stop trying to do one thing, but there's 50,000 other things. I'm, I'm, I'm always living in a state of sin. The key is to just be discerning and acknowledging that. I wish it was simple as if my discernment is right, my action will be right, but it doesn't always work that way. But we have to at least maintain the right discernment. So I want us to think about how the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and people influence our discernment. How our discernment is hijacked. By this wrong influence, either it's going to be the word of God, it's going to be the word of God that is driving your discernment, right? Or you're going to, your discernment is driven by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and people, and then your entire discernment is wrong. In many cases, then you'll take that wrong discernment, and then you will discern a wrong understanding of the scriptures, So we need to really, so what I want you to do this week is I want you to define clearly as you can, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and then you don't have to define people. Well, we, we, we all understand how people can influence, but let's focus on the lust, of, lust. What does it really mean? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And remember, that's in the world. Now in you, I think you're already operating like the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's it's in the world, but your sinful nature is already thinking and operating that way. So you're already at a disadvantage. And do you believe what Eve did? What she saw, what was pleasant, and what was desired? Do you think that corresponds perfectly with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? I think there's a direct correlation between the two. But remember, she did this, and she was influenced by this. Her discernment abandoned God's word on this, and she didn't even have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature who is drawn to the lust of the flesh, drawn to the lust of the eyes, drawn to the pride of life. It, it desires that. So our discernment is already questionable because of these things. But we have to, we have to clearly know what this, what is, when we say lust of the flesh, what do we mean by that? Lust of the eyes. What do we mean by that? Pride of life. Exactly what do we mean by that? We need to know that. So uh, this week, I want you to work on lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I want you to correspond that with, with what uh, happened to Eve. And I want you to really just understand these and see how, look, two thing, one or two things is driving your discernment. Scripture or these other three things. And don't forget people. Don't forget people because Adam just crumbles just she just walks up and he, I mean, there's, there's not even a conversation. He's like, okay. And sometimes other people, sometimes people have a greater influence on our discernment than, than anything else.
I, I think we have to we have to really look into this. Now, this coming week, we're supposed to be in Acts 2, and we're really supposed to be looking at conviction. And I'm we're going to be posing, the, what is the connection between conviction, the connection between conviction and discernment? But before we do that, I don't think we, I think it would be foolish of us to, to, to ignore what happens to Eve there. She, it's either God's word or it's what she sees, what is pleasant and what she desires. She is motive and her, she discerns to take the tr- the fruit based of what she sees, what she, what is pleasant and what she desires as opposed to God's word. And every day when I make, when I make discerning, judging, perceiving, one, one or two things is driving my, that my discernment. The best I can hope for is that I will at least discern going, no, I, look, I know that's wrong, but, but at least we are starting on the right starting point, right? It's, it, what's dangerous is when our discernment gets so turned around that now we are justifying the most uh, crazy thing. And you're doing so like, wait, how are you doing that with God's word? How are you doing that? All right, there we go. There we go. So we're going we're gonna to be working on this this week. Somehow, somehow, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to be doing something with this. All right, I, I could do, I could start doing some, some of the work now, but you know, the Bible study exercise is not designed that way. I'm, I'm trying to hand this to you. So you say, so what am I supposed to do? Lust, I want you to be able to define specifically and clearly what the lust of the flesh is, lust of the eyes is, and the pride of life is. And then I want you to ask yourself how that influences one's discernment. What does discernment driven by that look like as opposed to discernment driven by the word of God? But we can't do that. until. I, what is the lust of the flesh? What is it? I think, I think that one's easier to, to identify. Lust of the eyes, pride of life. I want you to make sure you really, and look up, and you say, well, how do I do this? Well, first, you can just, you can look up the word lust, right? You can look up fl- uh, the flesh, the eyes. You can look up the Greek words for those just to kind of get some kind of a working idea. But then the main thing is, you're just going to have to probably look up multiple articles and commentaries to see if there's massive agreement on what these things are. Like, and then write down like the majority idea of what it is. And then ask yourself, how would this influence my discernment? Is my discernment in this situation driven by scripture or is it driven by these three things? And I think you'd be shocked how many times our discernment is driven by something other than God's word. But here's what we do. Our wrong, the thing that's driving our discernment incorrectly then becomes the driving force in how we discern and interpret the scripture. which then becomes a circle of, well, blindness and deception. Okay, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop, but I have to. I have to. I have to. Not that I have to, but the only other thing right now to do is like, okay, never mind. Let's just dig in and we just start talking about these things. But I, I hope we've got, I think that's a good place. to. I think that's a good place. So I'm going to leave it right there for now. Hopefully this sparks some good conversation because in a roundabout way, Satan is able using his discernment to discern a plan, a scheme to get Eve to not discern what she should do based off the word of God, 
but to discern what she should do based off what she sees, what is pleasant, and what is desired. That becomes the driving force in her discerning what to do. She makes the wrong judgment because she has the wrong thing driving her discernment. She walks over to her husband. He just says, okay. And his discernment, I guess, is just based off whatever someone tells me to do. I don't know what in the world's going on with Adam. All right. But there you have it. All right. You can contact me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Let's end this first week of study on discernment strongly. And now we have a clear plan of something to work on going into week number two. And there's a possibility that we may be discussing this tomorrow at Victory Baptist Church. Possibly. Maybe. We have a lot of other things we could discuss tomorrow at Victory Baptist Church, which is our ongoing series on long gospel. We have a new series going on on baptism in the early church. And we have now our ongoing study, of course, on discernment. So, and there's uh, countless other things we're working on too. But email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I love to know if you're participating in the Bible study exercise. So let me know. And obviously, I love to get your thoughts, your feedback, and of course, on Discord, discuss away. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. And let's get prepared for tomorrow to start a brand new week of Bible study for the Bible study exercise podcast series, which tries to get you off the couch to a table with a Bible, a notebook, reference tools, so that you actually engage in study, not a passive listener, but an active participant in the study of God's word that is more needed than ever in the church right now. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.